the third record tracking in 81 that was a funky record too i mean there was a lot of up-tempo funky tracks on that one what do you remember about the the third record steve which record was that again tracking the third five special the third record the third record it had your body heat the third record we was in some type of jeopardy at the label and they figured the label okay from what i just said you the label is looking at now here comes the third album we won with the first one went in now the second album is the best album of all i mean it's so many records on that second album but they got off to uh i they figuring out that they got off to a wrong start with the jam let's take it to the street and the whole funk thing because we had another funk record on there to back it up called choosing you which probably should have been the first single but the whole sound of it they like okay the sound of it now since we done went so many different ways all in two years with the sound of this group all in two years so for the third album we might as well go because the group is full of talent it's no doubt about that we got singers manny so which way do we go on this third one and and they wanted the record company wanted to bring in some other producers this was the dilemma that we were in as far as how the group would sound or what's going to be the next direction for the group i mean the record company felt like ron was doing a great job so far but it's like a coach if you miss on the second one he's going to take he, gonna be the one taking the blame for this so what they wanted to do was bring in some other producers namely Ashford and Simpson so Ashford and Simpson and Patrice Russian who was our label mate anyway at the time Patrice Russian was our label mate and they wanted to work some inner label mate stuff going on because they was winning already with Patrice. And she they had already given her the, the, the straight green light to do everybody. She was producing Mike in line to produce Michael Jackson and everybody. So but Ron Banks was a bit hard nosed with the uh, with the reins of the production of, of how five special would sound what would be the next move what would be the you know the next term for five special she was kind tight reins at the time when the electorate wanted to incorporate some other entities on this third album i think the only consolation he winded up giving the lecture on that we had 
he we had Gamble and Huff on the third album, which Gamble and Didi Bridge, Didi Bridgewater was our label mate too at Electra, and she wound up singing on uh, a song with us called "Why Not Be Mine for a While," which was uh, written and produced by Gambling Huff. So that's far as Ron Banks was going with, with the whole Ashford and Simpson, Patrice Russian thing, which is the way Electra wanted to go. So what you got, <clears throat> so that's what you got on the tracking album, which was another Good album. <clears throat> the production guy was, I think, probably slighted because we were no longer recording in United Sound. We did most of that tracking album at uh, Sound Suite, which is where Anita Baker and Enchantment was recording over at Sound Suite, which they were getting a good sound over there, but not United Sound. The best in the world. Still, I thought tracks like Your Body Heat and Loveathon were pretty good funk. I mean, even even Loveathon, that was the Michael Henderson. That was the Michael Henderson crew. If you listen closely to that record, you will hear a wide receiver. Mm. I'm telling you now, do, do your research. For all you people out there, do your research. Uh, Randy, uh, Randy Jacobs was Michael Henderson's guitar player. He wrote it. And uh, I mean, there was uh, some, di some discrepancies there. Actually, that that song Loveathon was supposed to be a Michael Henderson record. His follow-up for Wide Receiver. But things get channeled and through different <laughs> the record business is is really something else. It's not what you would think. You know, it's a lot of uh things that go on. That, that, that fans, the don't, they just don't know. It, it takes a lot of research and a lot of like kind of putting two and two together. If no one comes forth and gives you the real skinny. Well, so, that's why like, you're here to like set that record straight. Thinking, it's probably true. <laughs> Some so, kind of way there's some truth in it. So they dropped you guys after that record. What? How did that go down, and, and how did you take that news? Well, look at everything, all of the goings-on in a three-album deal that we were signed to. Three-album deal, which they don't do them anymore either. Nobody gets a three-album deal. Either you just get them. They're doing the one-shot thing, or they're signing you for a lifetime. Either or. 
So a lot transpired during that three album deal with, uh, I mean, uh, we, uh, some bad decisions with the, with the production and um, just some bad career moves, like one, I mean, just really executive decisions that went maybe the wrong way, like we chose not to do Soul Train. Uh, to go on tour with Michael Jackson. You know, we were faced with these type of, of decisions and we didn't, I guess, you know, we can, by us being young, we could, you know, just sit back and blame that on the management, you know, on these type of decisions, like a decision not to go and be on Soul Train in order to be on tour with Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five. You know, I guess at that point, you know, after I think it over, maybe the management was in a position and it was put to him like that. It's like, okay, we have a slot for you to be on Soul Train. If you can't be there, if you got to be on tour with Michael Jackson, then that's what you do. And that's what we did. So just a lot of things that transpired, you know, the record companies in this, a lot of things, a lot of things transpired in a three album deal. And like I say, you don't, they don't even give you that much time now. Right. So we was blessed to even have the chance to go through all that, to even go through a three album deal. And like I'm saying, and now you don't even you get one album. If you mess up on that and the thing, everything ain't don't look like it's going right, you don't even get a second shot, let alone a third one. Come on, man. But where was your head at when it came to an end? What were your, you know? I was like, is it? It's over. <laughs> oh God, what am I doing? The girls ain't gonna like me no more. I ain't got no more hit records. Just a lot of stuff, you know, all kind of stuff like that. And it's like, I actually had to move back into my mom's crib. It was the worst. It's terrible. Time to, to get those boxing gloves back on again. <laughs> <laughs> it was too late for that. Yeah. Too late for that. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting ready to go in there and get knocked out. I was still, you know, I'm after a boxer always stays in, you know, good shape. But, you know, you got, you, I got a lot of choices to make at this, at this point. It's like, do we get another record deal? Uh, who's going to produce us now? Ron wanted to do some. 
he was stuck at this point because the dramatics didn't even have a record deal at this point. And at this point, all and then we was we definitely didn't want to be on tour with village people. Mm-hmm. With the village people. Okay. So we weren't leaning towards that. We didn't want to. We had things that we could play off of, but we definitely didn't. The group wasn't. We like we ain't going out like that. And which probably would have been a good idea <laughs> to go out like that because they was phasing out R and B. We was gonna just stick to our guns, and what we, our guns were being the all the ammunition were getting taken out of our guns. That we were sticking to, so we, you know, it was it was a hell of a time. It it was a hell of a time, you know. Uh, the group disbanded. But what else could we do? And then me and Mike and you know me, um, me and Brian and Steve Harris. We uh, tried to, you know, use the name for as much as we could use it for and was playing clubs around the Detroit area, Detroit metropolitan area, just us three as the five special. Three special. Yeah, uh, we was playing like regularly at this club uh in the daytime <laughs> we was playing this club called it was a very famous club in that uh in Detroit called Axles on eight mile and at nighttime Norma Jean Bell uh, uh excellent very excellent saxophone female artist she would play at nighttime and she had a built-in crowd and we just started playing in the daytime there i think we played there for months like about six months it was like uh a check (laughs) it was like just a check a weekly check for us to do to come in you know in the daytime and play during happy hour and sing cover songs at this point after having three albums out work for material we're in me brian and steve are in this club on eight mile singing cover songs just uh to make a check mm-hmm. yeah man how did you end up uh getting more involved with uh george and and p-funk During that time, uh, so I'm hustling sessions with George at this time because there's no P Funk tours at all. P Funk tours are at zero at this point as well. And there's no P Funk records on the chart. Tom McDog 
had done its thing. So he's hustling the studio and I'm hustling the studio right with him. We got all type of projects coming in because uh, he's not going nowhere. He's He wants anybody that, that wants to be produced by George Clinton, you must come to Detroit and you must record it at United Sound. So everything is for that. That hustle just fell in my lap. That's my house. I was raised in that house. So anything that came through the door, I'm talking, we doing everything from Peter Wolf to the Eurythmics to Real Well Red, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Paul Schaefer, Prince. So I'm on all of them records that I, all them artists I just named, I'm on their record. So I'm I'm hustling crazy from I'm singing at the at the club over here with Brian and Steve, and I'm at the studio with George. Bingo. So I'm making a I'm still, you know, maneuvering through this thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm still navigating through the whole, you know, recording industry thing like that way, that type of way. And then I'm writing songs. I winded up getting a production deal with Don Davis, the owner of United Sound. He signs me to a, a in-house recording deal, which was pretty lucrative for me and my crew, because you know I hire, I worked. I work the people that I've been working with. So once I got a deal, I use the same people, all in the same people, George and everybody. We made money off of a, a deal that I was signed with, with Don Davis at United Sound. And then from there, I was cutting some really good records you know, on my own, doing my own thing there at United. All the downtime, I'm keeping it going. I'm doing my own records. And Don was just into songs. He was just into really how many songs you can write and where can he get these songs placed. I found that out later. I'm thinking that the songs that I record on my own, he was, going, was interested in putting them out on me as an artist, but that wasn't the deal. Like I said, I found that out later. So the songs that I was doing was so good, I jumped, I flipped over to a label that was interested in putting out records, which was Westbound, another Detroit label. I didn't have to go far at all. <laughs> so I ended up signing a record deal with Westbound. I was on Westbound Records, the label that put Funkadelic on the map. Yeah. So I felt some type of prestige there. And actually, he had um, another, he had put out records. He had the Ohio Players and the Detroit Emeralds. 
and his gospel label was filled with people. Junie uh, did his records too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I winded up doing a lot of gospel sessions, waiting for my waiting for my record to come out. I did tons of gospel. I, I did the Clark Sisters, Tricky Clark them, and uh, Reverend Thomas on his stuff. And actually, I actually I did a Grady a Grady Fuzzy Haskins record too. Was he asking because he was my label mate at Westbound, and like I say, the Detroit Emeralds, the Fantastic Four, was actually still signed, but they weren't they wasn't active at all. What what year about are we at now, Steve? With the Westbound yeah. deal, the Westbound deal was damn. What year did uh, the Westbound, uh, that Snoop Dogg record came out? It's a doggy dog world because I was singing with the dramatics. And we did the record with Snoop Dogg. It's a doggy dog world. Well, Snoop's first record was around 1990. 90. In that area. Yeah. It was right, right in there. That's when we talking about. Because... As my voice appears in that video, in Snoop's video, it's a doggy dog world. The dramatic it's not my face. That's another guy in the video. But it's my voice on the I'm in I'm in court now with these people because they gotta pay me. They're giving the dude whose face in the video performance royalties, but they gotta pay me performance royalties. For the video because it's my voice on mm. the soundtrack. So they got that all screwed up. So anyway, where was we at? Well, when when did you first start doing shows with P Funk though? I first started doing shows with P Funk in nineteen seventy. No, no, I started touring with them and uh, when did you say that Snoop record was out? Around 90. 92. I started touring with George because I started touring with him when I was still signed with Westbound. Because we so, finished, I finished the album, I finished the album with Westbound and uh, Westbound Records, they felt like it would be good for me to go on tour with George as an opening act. And that's how I started, touring with George. I used to come out first. I had tour support from the record label, so I was able to bring my cats out from Detroit. And I did, I did some gigs. George was just starting to tour again after Lollapalooza. He was starting to do his own dates. And Westbound figured it would be a good idea for me to go on tour with George and open his shows. That's how it all started. Yes, yeah, so I think the first time I saw you with them was definitely in the 90s. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what was it like doing shows with with George and PFA? As an opening act? Um, well, how long did that last before you started being part of Parliament Funkadelic? That lasted all of one year. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they did, uh, Westbound did a uh, six month campaign on my record, Even Steven was the single, which would, did, was, was getting a lot of play in Detroit and Brown, Ohio, Toledo, and Dayton and Cincinnati. It was starting to spread in a southerly direction. But George's tours were going on the eastern sea coast and western coast. And westbound didn't really have um, like the radio connections on the east coast and the west coast like they had in the midwest and through the south so you worked out for a year and then george said hey just come play with us yeah he was like you can just sing with me if you want to what was it like hanging with and playing with, you know, Gary Scheider and, you know, the band at that time? Well, by that time, I we had I had already done all of these sessions and sing on all of these print Prince records. Oh, I left Prince out. Prince, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I had done all of these records with them in the studio, but never was touring. Because I had, I was in a touring group, the Five Special, um, the Dramatics. I was already with a touring band, so I had worked extensively with Gary, George, and all of the studio people from P-Funk a lot. Gary lived at my house with me, him and George Clinton Jr. I mean, we worked that much, that closely in the studio. So by the time it came, I mean, after Westbound wasn't really going after my record, they was like, dude, you ain't got to worry about it. You could just sing with us. You ain't got to worry about no gig or nothing like that. Is there a, a, a P-Funk track on maybe one of George's albums or something where you think uh, or you could say that your vocal is the most prominent? Um, it's a, a song on the Topophone album that we did uh, for Sony, a song called Underground Angel. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I wrote and produced that. I'm playing bass and keyboards on that. I got it here. Yeah. That right there. That's yeah. me playing bass and key bass and the organ. And that's I wrote the hook. And I think Tracy or somebody wrote the 
wrote the lyrics. <clears throat> and uh, George had a single out called A Sexy Side of You. I'm leading that. I'm leading on the sexy side of you. Uh, I'm, uh, let me see, I wrote When the Flag is Still There. And I wrote that song for uh, for George called Let's Get Satisfied. But he wound up giving, giving it to Prince. So it's a Prince record and it's a George record. But anyway, go I get writers for both artists. Yeah, I was like, hey man, smell my finger. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so what can you tell people that might be watching this though about that cast of characters in P Funk? I mean, can you talk about their talent and about their personalities and about being part of that? Man, the talent is off the Richter scale. It's off the scale, it's off the chain, man. These, all of the major players, I mean, you got, somebody came up with a, a, a term when we, at the, uh, at the Grammy, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award that we just received. And during the ceremony, when they called us up, Snoop called us up. We like to call Brian. And some people ran up on stage that maybe was with the band a long time ago or was was with the band or said hello to George or brought George some weed or something. And somebody came up with the 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 term uh the fifth the 15 minute funk member. You get anyway, you got a lot of those that come through and they contribute, like I say, they bring this, that, or the other. But the major players and people, all of these people are super genius people. They never got their credit or just do for one, some reason or another, maybe personal reasons, or maybe the business or overshadowed them. But the major players, all of the major players are true, sheer genius. George knows who he picks. He handpicked these people and meticulously draft them into his funk regime or whatever, or group or band. It's not, I can't really say at this point or at every since way back in the 70s when they were with Casablanca. It, nobody has been signed with any record company as Parliament or Funkadelic. That breakup shake, it ain't been the same. There has really hasn't been no 
a face that you could put with the name Parliament Funkadelic. But stemming from that time and people who are still here, you, that's what you need to look at, the people who are still here or the people who could still be here that are um, deceased and passed away. All of these people are like genius. I know this for a fact because I work with them like extensively, lived with them. I know these people better than I know my own family. And they know me the same. And they, the, the music capabilities are just um, through the roof. Now, what you hear or the performances that have been recorded and captured through the likeness of Parliament Funkadelic is just a tip for the iceberg. Real talk. Yeah. We lost so many the past 10 years. Um, and you really helped fill the void when Gary left us, you know, to help carry on with some of that lead vocal responsibilities on some of those shows. When he was still doing it, though, how did you decide when you might step up and do some lead vocals versus Gary? Gary was was a not nah, he was unselfish. The first thing I could say about that guy, one of the, probably the the most unselfish one in the whole bunch of them is me coming from a transplant from another situation that I'm known from dramatics. By special. So now, Gary didn't have a problem with sharing that stage because he knew I came from somewhere. I wasn't just like somebody just trying to horn in on his on his shine. So he had no problem with me. We worked seamlessly um, together. We pushed each other to heights that made us both better. And that made people see stuff that did, we didn't even know we had. And it, and it made us develop a reputation of a level of vocals that is like really up there. What's your favorite track to do with B-Funk and, and how come? I like doing uh, Funkin' for Fun just because it's so much fun. Now I'll be having a ball singing that record. And it, it's meant for that. They wrote it like that. They for wrote Glenn, it. Glenn Goins originally, right? Yeah, Glenn Goins is the lead singer on it. And then they wrote that for him to just have a ball. And that's what I be doing. And 
what would you say is the genius of George Clinton? How's he be up? How's he how's he been able to be the ringleader of all this ingenious madness for all this time? Well, when you put all of that genius together, together, keyword, which most geniuses are noted for working alone. All the geniuses that you know that are noted for their genius, they some kind of way work this out alone by themselves. So by George putting a lot of geniuses together, it's a lot, believe me. So his refereeing skills are just off the chain. He knows how to referee and delegate things in a manner where it comes out where all the participants are happy in the end. Because when you're working with a lot of geniuses, it can go like nuts in a China, in a New York minute. Everything can just go blast off in a whole bunch of different directions because there's so much there. But to contain this, referee this and and put it out in a manner to where everybody is satisfied with it is uh, a hell of a feat and when you can do that i mean the rest is the icing on the cake you know for the people to to get that and be able to digest that however much of it they want to take in, or oh, it might take like some. A lot of those records, those Westbound records, they just catching on. It take and some of this stuff might take twenty years to finally figure out. Wow, incredible! One of the. Uh, this is Val Young, one of the. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I know Val Young. One of the. What's the name they go? The Mary Jane girls is calling in on this interview right now. Val, I'm gonna have to call you back, darling. I know what she wants. So, um, you know, you mentioned funking for fun is kind of funny because they don't play that track too much live. You know, that's not one of the ones that's often done. Not to worry. I put it on my new album, Steve <laughs> Boyd Live in Austin, Texas, South by Southwest. I just released it. Oh, here you go. Nice. Where can uh, people pick that up? You can pick that up. Like right now at the funk store, 
at thefunkstore.com. You can get this. And it's a banger, too. I wasn't even supposed to do this show. Um, uh, there was an opening act that was supposed to, uh, from Europe or somewhere. And they were supposed to come on before us, and they got into a car accident on the way to Austin and couldn't make the show. So they was like, hey, Steve, you want to do your show? And I was like, fellas, y'all want to do it? It was like, yeah, let's do it. We went up there and killed. I'm telling you, the show came out so good, I had to, to put it out, press it up. Because luckily, it was recorded. And it was a good recording. And I had it mastered um, in, in Montreal, in Canada, uh, from one of my good buddies that used to work at United Sound. He works in uh, Canada now at a mastering place. I had it mastered up real good, and it's banging, man. I uh, what you saw the playlist. Why leave us alone is there. Uh, Walking for fun, couple of originals. It's nice. When was it recorded, and who was the band? The band was. Hold on, I gotta look. I don't want to leave nobody out because I put that, I put everybody's name right there on the marquee. You got to move it over a little. Move it over the other way. There you go. Yeah, there's some glare, but um, okay. Okay. Who's on the album? Damn. Where's my reading glasses? I don't want to leave anybody out because it's some people that's on here that's not with us. Not in George's band anymore. Um, so the band for the band for this show was uh, Kendra Foster, mm -hmm. Danny Bedrosian, Lodge Curry, Benny Cowan, Greg Thomas, Cliff Payne, Michael Hampton, Rico Lewis, and Paul Hill. Well, that's why it's so good between you and them, man. That's like you the, see uh, what I'm saying. That's like, the, <laughs> that's like the 420 crew. Yeah. We killed them, dude. <laughs> I got, I got to cop that myself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you got to get this one, man. <laughs> so, um, what else? What else are you uh, up to right now, Steve? What, what can we look for from Steve Boyd in the next year? Well, right now I'm in the studio. Man, it's, it's, I'm on one of those tears right now. Clips say, uh-oh, Steve, you on a tear now. He's like, everything you, everything you do going to probably come out. But what I'm working on right now is uh, an album for the Dramatics, um, a tribute for Willie Ford. I got about three, four songs that I was working on with Willie Ford. Oh man, now here comes this this country band from Seattle. They're coming into the studio to record. They call it. I gotta call y'all back. See, so this is what I'm doing. I got uh, I got the project for the dramatic. I gotta finish that up. I'm working on the four tops with Paul Hill. 
Uh, we just got that job from uh, from Holland Dozier Holland. They put us on this mission uh, to produce the Four Tops. Uh, I just did a song with Ronald Isley and Snoop Dogg. And um, I'm waiting on George to come into the studio this week for the new Parliament record. So. Is that, is that that other one he's talked about for a while um, that's kind of related to Medicaid fraud dog? Related to what? Medicaid fraud dog. It's like kind of. No, this is not. This won't be related to Medicaid at all. Okay. No. <laughs> and as you can see, and when. During this interview, I had the Mary Jane girls call, and I got this. Uh, <laughs> they trying to get in the studio. I already know what they want. Um, and I got this uh, country rock band that came, just came into town today. They calling me to let me know that they're in, and they want to come in tonight. I'm setting up for their drum session tonight. They came in from Seattle. But how do you decide what? Uh, you know, George Clinton shows you're going to show up at and, and participate in. Because I know you have been like kind of sporadically at different ones. As as the studio, the studio schedule starts to beef up, you know, I have to weigh it out in in money, I guess. At this point, you know, because he's talking about coming off of the road. So, you know, at this point, I got to try to filter in the next thing that, you know, could take up all my time, just like these tours are. Do you, you think he's really going to stop touring? Not in the near future. Yeah, he can't stop. He, I think he loves it too much. Plus the money. <laughs> yeah, it's going. It's going too good. We're getting a lot of bookings now. We're starting to play bigger venues. Yeah. So one last question, Steve. As you look back on all this, what is uh, your most special memory from all the music? What really like is an unforgettable memory or experience that you're like, wow. That happened. Well, this is a double up. For me, Aretha Franklin walked up on me twice. Two times. She heard my voice and just ventured my voice pulled her to me two times. Once I was singing in a house. I was singing in my friend's house. His name is Harley Brown. He's a good friend of the dramatics. He lives two doors down from Aretha Franklin mm -hmm. in Detroit over there in Palmer Woods. And I'm over there, I'm singing. We're actually having a rehearsal, rehearsing a song. And she was coming out of her house and riding down the street and heard me singing and stopped at Harley's house and came in. And 
The second time I was in, in a session at United Sound. And that's, this is why she was doing that record, Pink Cadillac. And this is when I had my, my little production deal with, with, with Don Davis and I was in there singing. And she was in Studio B, I was in Studio A. She finished her business in Studio B and I was on the mic singing and she just ventured right down the hall and opened the door. And I was standing, I was standing at the board listening to the playback. And I heard this voice say, you felt a sound nice. And I turned around and it was Aretha Franklin, dude, I almost passed out. You can ask the engineer. I almost fucking fainted. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Well, when you get the ear of the Queen of Soul, you got to be doing something right, Steve. Two times, dude. <laughs> nice. That's bigger than everything. That's everything. I don't care what else happened. That ain't happened to nobody else. And it had never happened to me again. So that's, the, that's it for me. Yeah. Outstanding. Is there anything else you want to share before we sign off? I don't know. I think I probably shared a lot. There's so much more. You know, you can't share everything. I... <laughs> we can't yeah. tell everybody everything. Any chance? Uh, well, you said you got Why Leave, Why Leave Us Alone is on that new record, so I was going to ask you if there's a chance there ever might be sort of a five special reunion of any kind, but um, I'm talking to Mike Patillo and Brian every now and then. Mike wants to do it. I wouldn't mind doing it. It would be very easy, you know, for me to do. It would be simple for Mike Patillo to do because he's he's still in the in the business and still working with the Temptations. Brian, maybe you know, it could be a little harder to pull him back into the fall. Yeah, well, that would be very cool, of course. Um, how can people keep up with you? You said the the CDs on the funkstore.com. Is there any where else that people can keep track of what you're up to? At the at Facebook, I mean, I'm not on Instagram or anything like that, but I'm on Facebook. And uh, the Christmas record will be out very soon. As soon as I get the horns, I get Benny and Greg on this Christmas record. I already got Lodge and Ricky Rouse on here. And I got one of my Detroit homeboys on there to play with Usher. I got him on the record. So the Christmas record will be out uh, as soon as I get the horns on it. Has it got some funky arrangements or kind of just traditional? I'm I'm letting the I'm letting the horns do their thing, their funky thing to it. But I'm singing it. It's it's a traditional version of it you know and i'm singing it like dining hathaway with a couple of extra parts you know with a couple of extra parts and i'm sure that the horns are going to do something extra they'll so, have a little bit little bit of swing to it sounds like 
Yeah, so it, it'll be a good record, something that'll, you know, last and just keep coming back every year. I'm going to put that out on iTunes. All right. Hey, Steve, it's been great talking to you. I'm glad we could finally connect, get over a few humps with that, and yeah. uh, get down to business here today. So thank you so much. And uh, appreciate all the music. Appreciate all the music you've given us through the year. So thank you for that. Appreciate you, Scott. Thank you for having me, man. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the FunkinStuff.net website. And on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. <laughs>